could shine between the lines if you would let yourself go find some place you know you can use your words use your hands you can change the world just pretend express yourself take a chance and you'll see who you'll be it's time to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Because without our language, we have lost ourselves. Who are we without our words? This is from Melina Marchetta, Finnegan of the Rock. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, creator and producer of Express Yourself and Star Style Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Before we get into today's show, Be The Star You Are as volunteers and I want to urge you to check out our website at btsya.org. Go to the events tab to find exciting events that we have coming up and also make sure to visit us at expressyourselfteenradio.com to check out past editions of our show. I'm Brigitte and we'll be starting off the show today with BTSYA longtime host and reporter Caitlin Darrow. Hi, Caitlin. Hi, Brigitte. I am so excited to be back again this week on Express Yourself. As Brigitte mentioned, the topic is language learning, and I actually just spent an entire month in Japan. I'm actually a little bit longer than that. I was there most of the summer, and I would really love to share my experience and reflect on what it was like to be fully immersed in another culture and specifically being immersed in a language that you don't know. I was living with host families during my time in Japan, and many of these families had very limited English proficiency. And as for myself, I know very, very minimal Japanese, but I was able to learn basic phrases. Uh, But even with that, I did struggle immensely with pronunciation, grammar, sentence structure, all of the things that go into learning a language, and especially because Japanese is just so vastly different from English. I grew up learning French and Spanish in school, and I still do know a bit of French and Spanish, at least enough to get by in a basic conversation. Um, And I think I was a little, that was a tad bit easier just because those Romance languages use the same letters, whereas in Japanese, they use kana and kanji, which I definitely don't know how to read. So it definitely took a bit of getting used to a lot of adjustments when I first got to Japan. Despite my lack of verbal and written communication, I was struck by the ability to communicate in other ways and the eagerness that Japanese people had when corresponding with me. They were so encouraging and excited to share their culture with me. Uh, For example, I remember one of my host mothers, she actually dressed me in a yukata and we went to a summer festival together in Tokyo. And for those who don't know, a yukata is basically a lighter version of a kimono and it's worn in the summertime. It doesn't take quite as long to put on. You can slip it on pretty easily, whereas a kimono takes, could take up into an hour um, to put on one of those. So it really just filled me with 
so much joy that she wanted to share this part of Japan with me, especially in modern society where it's very important to acknowledge cultural appropriation in regards to traditional clothing or special holiday events. So I never wanted to overstep boundaries as a foreigner, but in my experience, the people who I encountered were incredibly excited to bring me to a tea ceremony and teach me calligraphy and expose me to these traditional practices that as a foreigner from the United States, I had never been exposed to. I remember my first host family in Aichi Prefecture. They lived in a little city called Ichinomiya and they took me to the Issei Jingu Shrine, which is a very sacred spot. And I just remember feeling so very emotional there and just so grateful that they felt like they could share that place with me. And I actually visited many shrines and Buddhist temples while I was in Japan. And I always went with a Japanese person, usually my host family or a friend. So I felt comfortable going into those spaces. But as I reflect on that time, I want to stress how crucial multiculturalism is. I hope everyone listening has the opportunity to travel one day and maybe even get to share their own languages or cultures around the world. I learned so much about Japan from being there, and I hope everyone who I encountered there also had the chance to learn about the United States and hopefully glean a positive view of Americans and who we are and what we represent. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing. You know, it's, um, it's interesting because you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of immigrants from the East Asian countries who are coming into America, um, and they're, you know, they're kind of thrown into it. Uh, my, my parents learned English in three months, and they were just chugged around wow. ten years in the country, you know, really had to just practice and practice it. And so it's great now that these bridges are being built so that, you know, on the reverse side, that, that other connection can also happen. You know, you have people coming in from the U.S. and seeing, you know, East Asian cultures and learning the language and kind of immersing themselves in, you know, the Eastern cultures as well, uh, which is a really, I don't know, I, I feel like it's a really great back and forth and I, I'm glad it's happening. And so, yeah, it, right? yeah, it makes me very, very happy to see as well just the language learning aspect. I mean, I know when I was growing up, uh, we were only offered maybe one or two languages in school to learn. Um, But now I was talking to my little sister the other day, and they have such a vast variety of languages that you can choose. And, you know, you're not just limited to one or two. They really do encourage language learning. And again, just multiculturalism in general, I think, makes a huge impact in the world. Absolutely. So excited. I think, it, I think it's great, <laughs> you know, especially with the, uh, the onset of the internet and being able to communicate um, much more easily with people from around the world. I think it's great that our borders are kind of being opened up. Uh, but mm. ask, you know, what was your, speaking of the impact of multiculturalism, you know, what was one of your most impactful multicultural experiences while you were in Japan? Yeah, I would love to share. It's kind of a tougher story. It's a little more emotional. But I was in Japan in August, and there were many memorials and ceremonies occurring for the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So one of my host mothers actually opened up to me one night about this event, and she had invited me to go to a memorial with her. And it was something that her mother had lived through, and several of her relatives are still dealing with those negative health effects such as radiation exposure or poor air quality. 
And I remember just sitting there and weeping with her and she showed me pictures and shared these very personal family stories with me. And it was just very incredible, very profound to have that conversation and that connection and to share that compassion with one another. And it was a very powerful example of multiculturalism because I remember she was so surprised when I started crying and she was very surprised how emotional my reaction was. Um, And so despite the language barriers and despite the cultural differences, I think overall it's just important to remember that we're all human beings and we can all connect with one another in a very deep soul-stirring way, even if there are kind of those barriers to break down. Absolutely. And yeah, that that really breaks it down to an individual uh, scale rather than, you know, we, we learn about what happened in World War II. We learn about, you know, the war in the Pacific and the, the atomic bombings from a very, you know, it, from, a, from, a, from the literature, mm. essentially, on sort of that macrocosmic scale. You know, we learn about how the U.S. as an actor came in here and Japan as an actor came in there. And this is how it all went down. But from mm. textbooks, we don't, we don't see that individual impact that a lot of these events have on the people who are who are living there who lived through those events so it's it's pretty pretty crazy and pretty deep that you were able to to really have that connection and i think that really shows the humanist behind as you said you know we can we can really connect with one another on this individual level uh even as all these overarching events seem to be larger than than we think they are um, but, you know, I wanted to ask as well, Caitlin, maybe to take a bit of a lighter turn, I wanted to also ask, you know, what's something cool that you learned? Yeah, definitely. I had a lot of fun as well. It wasn't all so serious. But as I mentioned, I learned a bit of calligraphy, which was very cool. I took some formal classes. And also my host sister, my host mom, sat down with me um, for a few days. And we got to do my mom's name in calligraphy and my sister's names in calligraphy. And I got to do that and frame it and bring it home as a souvenir And I was so excited to learn calligraphy because I think it's such a beautiful art form. And it's actually much trickier than I thought it would be. I went in very naive, a little cocky. I was like, oh, you know, it's just painting and you're drawing some lines. But there really is such an art form to it. And when you do calligraphy, all of the lines are done step by step. It's a very particular order. So I really liked learning all about that, all about the history of it as well. And I learned more about personal organizing, too. One of my host moms, she is a professional organizer, and she follows the Marie Kondo method. So for those who don't know, Marie Kondo is a very famous Japanese organizer. She wrote a book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, which I had actually previously read, um, but I read it in English. I didn't realize that Marie Kondo is Japanese, And then eventually I saw her show on Netflix where she goes to people's houses and she helps get their lives under control. People who are just very disorganized. And personally, I am very messy, very unorganized when it comes to my personal belongings. So it was certainly a good skill for me to have. I think the trickiest part, though, was staying organized. So me and my mom, my host mom, We sat down one evening and we organized my suitcase because she saw there was just stuff coming out and the zipper wasn't closing. It was crazy. (laughs) 
but then by the time I was ready to go back to the United States, it was kind of in disarray again. So for me, the most important thing was learning those skills and trying to reapply them. But it was very cool. Definitely something that I will try to utilize throughout the rest of my life. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel, you know, when you get tired, you just, like, that's, that's <laughs> me. You know, I, I um, during when I'm traveling, I roll up my clothes, and I, I try to, I try to use that technique that I think in, quite early on, Marie Kondo said that rolling your clothes when you pack them for a traveling trip, you know, for a journey, is an easy way to kind of get that airspace out of there. But when I get tired, you know, I've come come back. I've just explored a new city or, or something, and or I've I've toured a, a place, and I just come back, and my clothes are not rolled. When I, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I definitely feel you. But yeah, wow, I. Yeah, sorry. I was, I'm sorry. I was gonna say. Um, I think also one of the best things in terms of organizing is just having everything in sight I think that rolling works really well because you can see all the shirts all the colors whereas when you stack them it's very much like out of sight out of mind so that is something that I'm trying to keep in mind I actually just moved into a new apartment recently so I'm unpacking boxes and trying to organize and I'm trying to remember everything that my host mom told me (laughs) oh my goodness that's really cool though a professional organizer so, so did she, I know there's, there's videos nowadays on YouTube where a lot of, uh, a lot of YouTube personalities are collaborating with, with people who organize professionally and, and kind of getting their lives or their, their junk rooms or their closets, some, some essential part of their lives straightened out. Is that, is that what she does? I'd, I'd love to know more about, about what she does with the organization. Yeah, I think she just primarily has like private clients, similar to Marie Kondo, just going into private homes and teaching them the methods. So not only not only getting them organized initially, but trying to really teach them how to stay organized is one of the keys. So she's, uh, I just loved being in her home, honestly, because everything was so easy to find. And I had never been in a place, you know, that was that immaculate. So it was uh, definitely one of my uh, favorite families to stay with just because I remember just looking for anything and it was always right there where I could find it. Absolutely. Gives you peace of mind, you know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I wanted to ask, actually, um, there's, there's been a lot of buzz about Japanese food and you know the jiggly cheesecakes and oh yeah what was what was you know if you had to pick a dish or maybe maybe a couple dishes we'll we'll give you some leeway (laughs) what was the thing that you ate oh man it's funny because I thought that I liked Japanese food like beforehand you know here in Los Angeles there's little Tokyo where you can go and get really great authentic um, Japanese food but of course, eating that food in Japan itself is such a different ball game. So just in general, like the tempura was really fantastic. I love tempura. And I was really surprised, though, because here in the U.S., I think we put so much batter and we keep kind of frying it and it's so yeah. thick. Um, whereas in Japan, it was very lightly battered, which I liked. You could taste, you know, the food a lot, a lot better. And also in Japan, there's a lot of really cool themed cafes 
So I actually went to the Pokemon Cafe, and that was so cool. All the food was just so cute and like shaped adorably, and uh, it was it was so much fun. And the food, of course, tasted fantastic as well. Absolutely! Oh my goodness! I yeah, mean, that's <laughs> amazing. But, you know, I wanted to ask about language as well, uh, as, as, you know, you, you definitely spoke about about kind of going in without without so much an idea of how to read the language. And I know that, you know, there's there's a stereotype uh, for, you know, when you when you head to Europe, uh, what I've heard is that um, if you if you have an American accent, maybe it's it's harder for the locals to warm up to you. But it seems like you had a wonderful experience. You know, did were were people in Japan friendly about you know your learning the language and sounding out the phrases? Maybe when you when you spoke to people about you know where to go or <laughs> how to get somewhere. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's really funny that you mention it because I've been to Europe twice now, and of course, um, it's hard to make generalizations about like an entire continent or an entire country. But I know there were certain places where. Um, it was hard to practice, like French, for example, because, yeah, people would maybe just reply back in English. It was easier for them to um, maybe reply back to me um, English after they had heard my American accent than, like, trying to entertain my broken French or broken Spanish. So I had certainly had that experience before, but in Japan it was totally different. People were really excited to practice English with me. And I would say, like, in general, I felt like in Europe, more people spoke English. So, you know, it was just easier to get around. Signs were usually bilingual. Um, Whereas in Japan, certain parts were very rural that I was in. I was only in Tokyo for about two weeks. So Tokyo is very, it's very easy to get around. And there's foreigners. But in some of the parts where I was at, it was, yeah, it was very desolate. So... A lot of the people I was meeting, they had never even encountered a foreigner before. So it was cool to have that experience and to see them be so positive and so excited and kind of having just the most like innocent, sweet questions to ask me about America. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was definitely um, a special time, a special experience. Absolutely. Sounds life changing, to be honest. And speaking of, though, I, I wanted to ask about the, the cultural difference as well. Because I know that, you know, in, in the more Western civilizations, there's an idea of go, 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 and get everything done, you know, everything's super fast-paced. But there's, there's a philosophy associated with the Eastern cultures that's, you know, it's, it's more Zen, there's serenity, you're kind of finding yourself and finding a sort of peace that maybe is not so well spread in, in America maybe, or, or in, in Europe. And so do you think, what did you think of, you know, that, that purported split? Like, do you think it was, it was more apparent when you were in sort of these rural areas? Was there a, was there more of a feeling of quiet and calm as compared with, you know, cities over here? Yeah, to a certain degree, I would say yes. Um, just because America is very individualistic, I would say. I think everyone, it's kind of that rat race mentality, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think it's great that Americans are such hard workers and, 
you know, they, <laughs> they uh, kind of have that, those beliefs. But in Japan, I, I would say it's a tad bit slower, although the Japanese are also incredibly hard workers. I was surprised all of my host dads would leave in the morning around like 8 a.m. And then they wouldn't get back until maybe like 8 p.m. I think their work days are a little bit longer than ours. Um, if you're working for some of the larger companies there. So they're incredibly hard workers, very focused. Um, but I would say they're more collectivist. They're more uh, like the families were extremely close. And uh, over there, it's very common to like live with your family, live with your parents up until you get married. So it's very common to have like, you know, your children living at home with you into their late 20s, even into their 30s. Whereas I think in the United States, that kind of can have like an, a weird, maybe negative um, connotation. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's very like, oh, I'm 18. I want to move out. I want to like be on my own and be independent. Like it's such a different, it's just such a different uh, culture, such a different mindset. But I loved how um, the families were in such unity with each other. I thought that was really beautiful. Absolutely. That's, I think... Yeah, from from what I've heard and from maybe uh, my own experience with my family, there is a very, there is a very unit-like aspect to the family. As you were saying, I definitely agree with you there, that here it's it's more about self-determination, you know, (laughs) a very, (laughs) that sort of of aspect, Uh, whereas maybe in Japan and in some other Eastern uh, Asian countries, it's more of a, a, uh, a, a familial unit. There's, there's some idea of filial piety there that's, that's <laughs> more rooted, I guess, um, than here where everyone's like, yeah, you know, I'm doing my own thing. And that's great, I think. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's definitely pros and cons to each. It's very cool to have been so immersed and to be living with families and um, just to be there for the time that I was, I feel like I got a very like in-depth perspective. Um, maybe not necessarily like that typical tourist experience. So I'm happy that I, I got to see some of those things up close and breaking stereotypes, I think is really important and just really, truly learning more and having understanding towards everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's, you got something that you could take away and incorporate into your viewpoint. So you have that dualistic viewpoint now. Uh, Well, you know, thank you so much, Caitlin, for this wonderful conversation on your experience in Japan and the language and the culture. Absolutely amazing. Um, This was really just a thrilling segment. And I think it's definitely going to inspire other people to go out and travel and to learn another language. Um, But audience, make sure to read more about Caitlin and her wonderful adventures like this one at CaitlinDarrow.com. But Caitlin also started a charity at age 12 to help uh, those less fortunate than us. And, um, you know, just Caitlin, if you could, you know, give your give your charity website, I'm sure our audience would love to check it out as well. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share. It is Angels Community Outreach. Dot org. All right, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to be checking it out, and I hope audience make sure you make your way over there too. Uh, again, thanks, thanks so much, Caitlin, for being on today. It's so exciting to have you and hear your stories, um, and to have you on the show again. And audience, make sure you watch 
BTSYA's fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash be the star you are. Make sure to also pick up our new anthology, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices in a changing digital world at cynthiabryan.com slash online dash store. I'm Brigitte Chia, and this is Express Yourself. Stick around for more on the gift of language. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com You can express yourself. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to The Gift of Language. Our program is Express Yourself giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. I'm Brigitte Gia, and in this segment, we're going to read the chapter on language from our new book, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World. All right. Without further ado, this is The Gift of Language by Van Ackerman. Uh, Here we go. Almost exactly a year ago, I earned my bachelor's degree in English literature. And upon telling people that I studied... I heard one of these three things. Oh, nice. So you want to be a teacher? Or, oh, wow. So you want to go to law school? And then, oh, cool. So uh, what are you going to do with that? But I'm one of the lucky ones. I graduated and I got an amazing job in publishing. And with my living base covered, I grew to have an unfamiliar peace of mind, which is entirely unacceptable. So I decided to delve into war and peace. Truthfully, I haven't finished yet, and I'm pretty close to the end, but I realized why I'd been losing steam with my Russian favorite. 
I was no longer satisfied with the translator's interpretation of what was said, because I wanted to know what the authors of my favorite books actually said, and I wanted to understand it. Before I get into it, I need to clarify something important to me. One of the objectives in reading literature is the understanding is to understand, embodied with the idea of empathy. And that is what I'm trying to gain, an understanding. Empathy and an understanding of a frequently misunderstood and judged people. So reading War and Peace became a journey of comprehension. I want to know why Russian authors are so intensely loved and respected and almost revered as gods. I want to know why Tolstoy's longest epic is considered one of the greatest works of all time. And I want to do more than hear the rhythm of Pushkin's poetry. I want to understand it, all of it. Still, even when that realization dawned on me, it wasn't until I had an affair with a Russian that I fully decided to take the plunge and learn it. I heard him and his friends talk to each other in their language, but I didn't really hear him. I heard him in my language, talking to me in that gorgeously thick accent. And he wasn't satisfied with what he said, so I wasn't satisfied with what I heard. I realized then that I rejected my unfinished hearty and half paid attention to Palinuk because I'd needed a change, and that genre jumping wasn't cutting it anymore. So, all this combined, I decided to learn the Russian language. Honestly, it'll take me years to become fluent. But in my language learning, I'm realizing that there's so much that English just can't say. In German, there's this word called Ferwe, and it means something like a bittersweet longing for a place you've never been to. Or, in Russian, Tosca, which means basically melancholy, uh, but a very serious, earth-shattering kind of sadness. Sure, the greatest bard of all time was English, Shakespeare, and wrote Thessaly, but there are hundreds of languages with their own sets of ideas, terms, dialects, jargon, and beauty. If Lolita were written in Russian and then translated into English, do you think it would have the same power and the same potency that it does? Hell no. Translations don't do the original language justice. And we can still appreciate it, and we can love it as it is. But the fact remains that there is knowledge, and there are ideas of language, that will forever become lost in translation. As happenstance would have it, my stepdad is also very fond of Russian literature. And in fact, he studied Russian in college, and he dreamed of becoming a Russian diplomat. That didn't quite work out, and he became a doctor instead. But when it came time for me to apply to schools, I had to tell the aforementioned school-loving <laughs> doctor stepfather that I wanted to major in literature. I remember he just sat there, and he said simply, as if it were the most regular thing to say, Man, don't be a salmon. I was so confused, I knit my brows together, and he, he sensed my confusion, and he explained. Salmon spend their entire lives swimming upstream, and sure, it's natural to them but struggling against the current is a big part of their entire existence. So you don't need to be a salmon. You can study what you want to. So to address those three previous points, why would I do something with so few prospects or opportunities? Essentially, why would I want to be a literature major? Because I didn't want to be a salmon. I, I lived and I breathed literature, so that's what I did. And when I could, I always came back to my Russian. At the end of the day, there are only so many languages I can learn. It's an exciting prospect, 
But on the flip side of it is the knowledge that I'll never be able to understand everything that has ever been written. I mean, who really understands Sanskrit anymore anyway? (laughs) I'm struggling, and I always will, with one of the greatest fallacies of us people today. And that's the acceptance of the unknown, being able to embrace discomfort and allowing my control to ebb and flow. All right, we've got an accompanying exercise that Van has written for us, and it's titled How to Be a Tofu Salmon, (laughs) or maybe a Soyman. All right, here we go. Here's my recipe on how not to be a salmon, how to be a tofu salmon, or maybe a Soyman. (laughs) When I feel overwhelmed, which is a frequent occurrence, I do three very simple things. I sit back, I breathe, I drink a tall glass of water, and I take a quick walk around the block. What I do next can vary between the two following possibilities. I can come back to what is pressing with a reset mind and body, or I can sit my butt down and I read a book because life is too short to worry so much about the details. All right, here's a wonderful quote from from Tolstoy's War and Peace, (laughs) how the story all started. We can only know that we know nothing, and that is the highest degree of human wisdom. Well, that was an amazing chapter from Van. I think it's very cool what she's discussing uh, in her journey as a literature major, because the study of language is very simple and difficult all at the same time. We know English, we can learn other languages, but at the same time, language is unique because it can be used in so many different ways and it's so defined by who uses it. Uh, One of my favorite examples is if you take a sentence, uh, maybe uh, that's not what she told him or, or I didn't take the money. Let's take that one. I didn't take the money. If you take that sentence and you enunciate different words on it, I didn't take the money. 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 (laughs) If you emphasize different words in that sentence, it's the same exact sentence, the same exact words and letter combinations. But if you do that, you get different meanings from each utterance of the phrase that you're trying to convey. And so in that alone, you know, even even moving away from the different words that you can use and the different ways you can rearrange those sentences and what synonyms you can come up with, just the enunciation alone can give you so many different ways of iterating the same phrase that you start to think, oh, what, how, how exactly can we learn everything that language has to offer? So I think it's a really good point that Van brings up. Uh, where she speaks about letting the unknown come in and and being okay with it, and also kind of letting it find you, letting what you know find you. I think that's really important. And so, you know, I just I just like to again thank Van for the brilliant chapter uh, from our new book. And audience, I'd like to say just support more segments like this one by making sure to donate to Be The Star You Are, 501c3 Literacy Charity that brings you this program and these wonderful stories and these wonderful chapters. Also, Be The Star You Are's Operation Wildfire Disaster Relief Fund is ongoing and continuing right now, and we really desperately need your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. Help ship books to victims of natural disasters today at bethestarur.org. And you can even donate through PayPal Giving Fund with no additional fees. 
Make sure you watch BTSYA's fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash be the star you are and pick up our newest anthology, which this chapter is from, titled Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World at cynthiabryan.com slash online dash store. I'm Brigitte Gia, and this is Express Yourself. Make sure you stick around for more on the gift of language. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com. You can express yourself. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to The Gift of Language. This is Express Yourself on the Voice America Empowerment channel. I'm Brigitte Gia, and in this segment, I'll be discussing my own viewpoint on language. So I have been majoring in neuroscience in college. I'm super excited about it, um, maybe maybe more intense about it than I should be in, in everyday conversations. I'm often told by my friends to calm down. <laughs> but one really cool area of neuroscience is the study of language. Because language is unique in that it's a higher order process that, you know, is, is only unique to us, is, is specific to us as a species, or, you know, so far as we know. So language is this higher order function that generally requires multiple brain association across various 
regions of the neocortex in our brain. So, so let me give a little bit of backing to this. The brain uh, in us, in humans, is made up of our cortical areas and our subcortical areas. So our subcortical areas are, are kind of the, the bulk of the brain are your, your, your hind brain, your midbrain, sort of the chunks that deal with more innate impulses. So your implicit impulses, maybe, maybe they control you know, when you're hungry or they tell you uh, your emotions, sort of your baseline anger, fear, joy, those baseline emotions. Whereas the cortex is this this thinner this thinner layer of brain that's kind of it sits on top of the rest of your brain and it's this newly developed area that's really only been developed in in primates and humans to the extent that we know it and that's sort of where our language comes from so a lot of the, the way we process our language uh, in the brain is from this new developed area that's only been evolutionarily shown in in recent species, so in us, basically. And a language is actually pretty unique to human beings, uh, probably due to the way certain connections are structured in our brains uh, as humans. What's interesting is that the human brain is not any larger than any other primates. We actually have a pretty average-sized brain for a primate, uh, for, you know, as compared with an apes, I think we, we might even have a smaller brain than the cheap chimpanzee or the Neanderthal. But comparatively, we're able to make different associations, which is why, which is maybe why we possess the ability to, to speak and comprehend languages as a way of communication. Uh, so just to get uh, some areas responsible for aspect of language out there, um, and I want to I want to talk about what happens when they're damaged as well. There are some there are a bunch of areas on the cortex that are sort of responsible for language, uh, or they're known to be associated with uh, our ability to speak and comprehend language. One of them is called Broca's area, and Broca's area is a specific area on the cortex on your thin layer of top brain, essentially, uh, which when damaged uh, prevents your ability to speak words and to generate sentences. Essentially, you're reduced to a sort of repetitive phrase. Uh, For example, there is one example on YouTube uh, where there's a video of a man who has experienced damage to his Broca's area on his neocortex. Um, and the only thing that he can do is repeat the phrase tono, 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 tono. And he can't say anything else because that area of his brain is lesioned or it's damaged. So he's, he's unable to make any other sounds. There's another area on the brain called Wernicke's area, uh, which is again also on the cortex, also on that higher uh, sort of cognitive area of your brain that's removed from your more base instinct. So Wernicke's area is responsible more for the ability to put your words into uh, sentences and phrases and orders that actually make sense. So people with damage to their Wernicke's area um, experience something called word salad, where they're generating all these words that are, that are you know, the pronunciation is correct and uh, they could be saying things, and it's 
you know, it's language, it's recognizable as English words, but the words themselves are jumbled in the, into these incomprehensible sequences where there's no clear sentences, there's no clear phrasing, and whatever they're saying doesn't make sense because the damage to that area of their brain has resulted in their being unable to comprehend language and to put it in uh, an order that actually makes sense. What's interesting about these patients is that if you speak with them, um, they will reply to you. They will give you a response, but it will be nonsense words said in the tone of a response. So if you picture, if you ask them, would you like some water? Normally they say, yeah, I'd like some water. But with damage to Wernicke's area, they might say, grape, one, two, three, four, ten, apple. And you can hear that that they don't sense that anything's wrong because that area of the brain is damaged. They're not able to comprehend it. And it's absolutely crazy how the brain, the brain's functions map so closely with functions that we need in our everyday lives. Some other areas that are related to speaking and to uttering language and forming language, forming words, are the motor areas. So we have a little strip on that aforementioned area of our brain, that, that top layer called the cortex, uh, that's called the, uh, the motor area or the motor cortex. And this area is, interestingly enough, it's ordered so that it, um, each area of the brain in that, in that little chunk of brain uh, is responsible for a different area of movement. So there's a little little chunk of your brain <laughs> on the motor, the motor cortex that's responsible for, say, your hand movements and your feet movements. But there's also definitely a chunk that's responsible for your vocal cords and your your mouth muscles. You know how you're moving your jaw when you're iterating words and. Although we, we tend to skip over the forming of words in, in favor of the meaning of words, you know, there are people who have issues with their motor areas, with their, you know, the motor cortex of their brain that then experience things like stuttering and, and need treatment like speech therapy in order to rework those areas of their brains and make sure that they're pronouncing words right, that they're able to to physically utter words and to generate language. So those are some brain areas that are associated with language and that are commonly studied when a person has a dysfunction in their ability to generate language. And they all, funnily enough, they all interact with one another. So there are connections between Broca's area and Wernicke's area that then allow you to both understand what's being said to you and generate a sentence or a phrase that makes sense in response. And if you sever the connection between Broca's area and Wernicke's area, you're unable to do those things. You're unable to generate language or to, to properly comprehend it. What's also interesting about language in the brain is that there's actually a, a lateralization um, so there are two hemispheres of your brain. There's the left side and there's the right hemisphere. You have those two hemispheres. And the left side is more focused on language than is the right side. So there have been patients who, after having epileptic seizures, they've had their brains split in half. So there's a giant connection between the left and right hemispheres of your brain that's chopped in half 
It's called the corpus callosum, and it's cut in half uh, in certain epileptic patients who need to sever their parts of the brain in order to make sure that their seizures don't spread all over their brain, so they're not affected by seizures all the time. And what researchers have learned from this split is that the left hemisphere is actually more responsible or or takes precedence when it comes to processing language and understanding language. Whereas on the other hand, the right brain is more responsible for images, is for for kind of mapping your world, for associating those those visual cues and non-lingual cues. So that's a super interesting aspect of the brain and language that I I just wanted to get out there because it's so cool. You don't you don't see how language is mapped onto your brain um, until you figure out what brain areas are responsible for your ability to generate language. But what's really cool is aphasias. Aphasias are a, a lack of language in multilingual individuals, and that's actually really awesome because. If you experience a, a language disorder and you're unable to, to generate words, say after a stroke, there have been cases where multilingual patients who know two or more languages experience different degrees of being unable to speak their language in the two different languages. So you might have a multilingual patient who's experienced a stroke and has lost, you know, maybe he knows Russian and Hebrew, and he's lost all of his ability to speak Russian, but he's retained every ability to speak Hebrew and to, to read and write in, in Yiddish and Hebrew. So it's this interesting thing that's not been really studied, but maybe multilingual patients or multilingual people in general use different areas of their brains to comprehend different languages. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to me geek out about the brain and language. Uh, This has been our show on language and on language learning. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Caitlin about her experience in Japan and our lovely chapter from Van Ackerman as well. And I'm glad you stuck around to hear me again geek out about neuroscience in the brain. I'm Brigitte Chia. Make sure you pick up a copy of our newest anthology, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World, which you can find on CynthiaBryant.com slash online dash store, Amazon, and other major book retailers. As always, we give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment Crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you to you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. You've been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs, go to our main site at bethestarur.org. Come celebrate our 20th anniversary with us. But make sure, most importantly, to be considerate, immerse yourself in the world's languages, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids Channel.
Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself